This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. All right, I'm usually pretty understated when it comes to self-praise, but not today. We're spiking the football today. We've got an incredible show for you this afternoon. With FSU facing UNCG in the tournament, we had Leonard Hamilton on the show. You can already find that interview on our podcast channel. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review, too, because that's a cool thing to do. Spartans coach Wes Miller will join us at 5.30. Meanwhile, the New England Patriots spending spree continues in free agency, which we haven't really seen much from Bill Belichick. It seems like maybe him or his dog have been hiding cash in a mattress over the last 20 years and figured since Tom Brady won a Super Bowl without him, it's time to start spending some of that cash. As it relates to Cam, it reminds me of something we were all taught as kids. Actions speak louder than words. Or if I'm going to pull an obscure 90s comedy, money talks. Any Chris Tucker fans out there? Charlie Sheen? Anybody? What the actions and money spent tell me is that the Patriots believe Cam is really their guy and they can win with him. Because if they didn't believe in that, why didn't they let him test free agency? Test the waters a bit. We're seeing like with Curtis Samuel right now, there's not as much money out there as he thought. There's a chance he could return to the Panthers, according to Diana Rossini and Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports. With the cap dropping, players aren't getting as much, and they're deciding to re-sign with the teams they're already with, or already were with. Cam Newton, he was signed right before free agency began. It doesn't take a lot to get a pay upgrade from last year, but he got a pay upgrade. Incentives can make uh, can have him making up to $14 million this year. If they did not believe Cam could be effective this year, why did they resign him? Why did they do it before free agency? Actions speak louder than words. There were other options out there. I keep hearing, oh, well, the alternatives, there weren't any alternatives to the Patriots. They had to resign him. Sam Darnold wouldn't have been expensive. They could have brought in Darnold if they thought he was better than Cam. Jimmy G apparently has drawn some interest. John Lynch has apparently fielded some calls on Jimmy G. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he was available until the Washington football team nabbed him up. Carson Wentz, he was traded this offseason. Russell Wilson's apparently being shopped. Deshaun Watson, not being shopped yet, but there's a relationship there with Nick Casario. There's the draft. The Patriots are in position. They could trade up and get a guy, or somebody could probably fall to them in the first round. This seems to be a really good quarterback draft. There are a ton of options for New England, but they decided we're going to go with Cam. And not only that, these signings tell me they're building the offense around his strengths. When Cam was at his best, he had a great, reliable tight end to throw to in Charlotte. It was Greg Olson. So what did they do yesterday? They pick up Jonu Smith. And then what did they do today? Here's Hunter Henry getting the King's ransom from New England based on the salary cap standards now. You pick up not one, but two effective tight ends? That's perfect for Cam. They pick up Nelson Aguilar as a downfield threat. They didn't have any weapons for him a year ago. 
Now they do, and they're getting players back. A tackle, a guard who opted out a year ago. They're back. Brandon Bolden in the backfield. He's back. He opted out a year ago. This is going to be a better team. Jalen Mills, they got him at corner to compliment Stephon Gilmore on the other side. Dante Hightower, the heart of that defense. He was an opt-out. He's coming back. Patrick Chung, he's coming back. This Patriots team is going to be competitive and could win the division if the Buffalo Bills have a setback. It's because the Patriots still believe in Cam. When you talk about polarizing figures, it seems negativity really thrives. When polarizing athletes are discussed, polarizing figures, it's the negative headlines that sell the most. It's why when you pick up the tabloids, Robert, and it's the Britney Spears story or the celebrity story, it's never Britney Spears gives this much money to a charity or somebody does this great thing. No, it's always something scandalous because that's what sells. So when Cam Newton gets discussed in the media and by fans, it's always driven by negativity and polarity and people saying that he's done and he's not a good football player anymore. He showed flashes last year. Look at how he started and how he finished. His first two games, he was really good. Against Miami, against Seattle, the Seattle game, he threw for nearly 400 yards, 396 through the air. Had two rushing touchdowns in that game as well. Nearly won it on the road in Seattle. The last game of the year, three touchdown passes against the Jets. Ah, oh, but that's just the Jets, Josh. Late November. At Houston, on the road, he throws for 360 yards. My biggest concern with Cam when he left Carolina to go to New England wasn't talent. He's one of the most gifted athletes we've seen in this league in a decade. So it wasn't talent. It was durability. Could he get through the entire season? Could his arm hold up? Could he throw further than 10, 15 yards down the field by season's end? And the answer to that question is yes, he could. What happened last year, he was hamstrung by the Patriots having more opt-outs than anybody else. He was hamstrung by not having any weapons to distribute the ball to. He was hamstrung by a team that, quite frankly, just wasn't any good. He didn't get enough support. And this year, he's going to have some of that. I've often learned, don't doubt the outliers. Don't attach normal common sense to the people that are different than us. I am not in the business of doubting Cam Newton. Because if you've been in that business, you've been a whole heck of a lot of wrong over the last 10 years. The Patriots follow the money. Money talks. You know, listen to what your parents told you as a kid. Follow actions, not words. What it all points to, the New England Patriots believe in Cam Newton and think he can win this year. Moving things along, the NCAA just announced 67 of 68 teams have arrived in Indianapolis for the tournament, Virginia being the one exception to that but they're expected to join the rest of the teams on Friday. But the first impression of this setup they have in Indy, 
less than awesome based on reports. I wouldn't go as far to say it's fire festival level dysfunctional and say it's time to panic, but there is enough to be concerned here. I, I want to be as fair and balanced as possible when I talk about this. Because when we got off the air last night, the big story with the tournament regarded officials. When you think about college basketball officiating, the first name you think of is Ted Valentine. Well, Ted was a part of a group of six referees who were told to show up to the NCAA tournament site on Sunday. They did just that, and when they got there, they were told their rooms weren't ready, and they also didn't have any food for the officials. So what do they do? They go to a local steakhouse, then they show up when the food and the and the hotel rooms are ready for them. They get COVID tested, and we learn on Monday that one of those tests come back positive, which because they all went to dinner together due to the rooms not being ready, all of them are out of the tournament. Roger Ayers, another one of the officials. He was on the whistle for two other Final Fours, and he was on the whistle for the ACC this year, including UNC Florida State on Friday night. Ted actually worked the ACC championship game in Greensboro on Saturday. So this is a really big deal that these referees, Ayers and Teddy V, they're not going to be able to work the NCAA tournament. They've been sent home. Now, on the other side of the coin, referees have different protocols than the players. If you want to say this headline about the officials should make you concerned about the security of players and their situation and the protocols in place for them arriving in Indianapolis. I think that's a leap. All year long, players, they've been quarantined. They have to stick in certain spots. They get tested a certain amount. There's very little mobility that they have. Take when the, the bubbles during the Thanksgiving tournaments when the season started. Players had to stay in place before they could even play a game. Officials, meanwhile, were jumping from bubble to bubble. I remember Ayers worked a UNC College of Charleston game, then jumped immediately, and I saw it was in Florida. He was working a Gonzaga, it wasn't Virginia, it was Gonzaga in Kansas around Thanksgiving, the very next day. So officials, I've often asked this question, didn't really get any answers in response, what is the protocol for the referees? Because they seem to be a lot different than the players. Then there's the food concern. I'm not just talking about food not being available to the refs. According to Matt Norlander, who does great work covering all things college basketball, a coach sent him a picture, which was in one of these Tupperware containers, a boxed lunch with the caption... Quote, supposed to be fish. Just got a text from a head coach in the East region. Supposed to be fish. And a lot of people feel like this is Nate Oates because you can look and see there's a red jumpsuit and a reflection here. And they're in the East region. And he seems like the type of guy who would do that after his comments about Kay when Kay voiced concerns about the state of college basketball back in December. But when you're looking at this, in one compartment of the Tupperware container, this box lunch, you've got what seems to be either sliced apples or some sort of potatoes. 
in a plastic wrapper, it looks like there is a roll, a dinner roll, and then you have this fish here. Which, Robert, does it look that bad? When you look at it, Does it, it's not like fire Festival bad where you're being given the two pieces of bread with cheese and lettuce on top. That's not what this is, right? Uh, it's still pretty bad. It's like if you had a Lunchable that was with fish, that's what this would be. It looks like some tilapia. <laughs> but again, being balanced, VCU's Mike Rhodes texted Matt a picture of a finished meal with the finished fish and an empty plate saying, quote, Guys who coached in D3 love their March Madness meals in Indy. You ever eat a pregame meal while driving a white van? And there are a number of coaches who sent the same exact thing here, which seems to be a criticism of Nate Oates. Nate Oates doesn't seem to be the most well-liked coach. So food probably isn't great. I'd imagine this is just what you're given during quarantine where you have to be in your room and they serve you food. They give you the box meal right at your door. They don't want to exchange anything. This was the big issue with the NBA where the first couple of days players complained about the food and it got a lot better when they were allowed to mingle amongst each other and get out of quarantine. So I'm less concerned about that, but there is enough here where you start to raise alarm bells, have some concern with the referees and how quickly this is put together and some concerns about the food. I'm interested to ask Wes Miller what he thinks about us when he about all of this when he joins us at 5.30. But the larger reason I'm concerned about all of this Let's not lose sight of how amazing of an undertaking this is about to be. Having an NCAA tournament in an air quote bubble, 68 teams in the same place. That's three times as many that showed up at the NBA bubble, and those are professionals. Three times as many that showed up to the NHL bubble. 68 teams in one place. How do you make that work? How safe does it feel? That is what I'm most concerned of here. It is the greatest undertaking from a sports perspective of the COVID era, trying to get the NCAA tournament in, and it's fitting because the biggest thing we've lost due to COVID was the tournament. We've got the NBA playoffs back and the NHL playoffs, and we had a football season, and we got the playoff, and we got a Super Bowl in. Pretty much everything that we lost came back, except for the NCAA tournament. So it's good news that everybody showed up, with the exception of Virginia. Tests being administered, about 2,300 of them, only five turned, back, turned up positive tests. It's going to be a fascinating deal how this all looks. First four games are in two days. This is it. Ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it. Do it. Do it. All right, listen up. It's the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I'll be honest. When Florida State was set to meet North Carolina in the Coliseum Friday night, I thought this might feel like a Tar Heel home game in Greensboro. But boy, was I wrong. FSU fans showed up and they were loud. And I remember after the game ended, I was trying to do post-game interviews with some of the guys and struggled to hear because the fans were chanting New Bloods as they were heading to the exits. The head coach of the New Bloods 
is Leonard Hamilton, who joins us now on Sports Up Dryad, live from Indy. Coach, let's start here. How did you spend Selection Sunday? Where did you watch the show? Well, actually, <laughs> my team watched the show uh, during um, dinner meal right before we got on the, the bus to go to the airport to leave. And I watched the show on the bus <laughs> while I was waiting on the players to come and get on the bus. Uh, no, I had uh, I turned my ankle uh, trying to get on the bus, off the bus, and I thought it was best that I just kind of hold tight. <laughs> and so our guys, they really had a rejuvenated their focus. Uh, they were excited about just seeing their name put drawn you know, this is an exciting time for not only fans and media, but for the players as well. You know, this is a new day. And for us, you know, to finish second in the regular season and then playing the championship game and not play very well and, and losing the championship game, this kind of gives us a, another opportunity that we can't let, we don't want to let pass by. So we're excited. Uh, I think college basketball, the tournament, the NCAA, in my opinion, is the greatest sporting event in the world. I mean, people all over the world watch it. They see it. You know, you can see the facial expressions and see that, that commercial that talks about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You can see it on their faces. It's more personable. You see the numbers. You associate the names, the schools. Everybody's kind of picking things. So it's just a great event. And we're excited to be able to participate. Coach Ham, let's not bury the lead, though. Uh, are you on the injury report? What's your status? No, no, no. I'm really? good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Is this the only problem I'm going to have in life? I'm in good shape. <laughs> Coach Ham with us here on Sports Up Dry. It's not every day that you sit on the bus getting set to go to the airport to uh, travel to Indianapolis, figure out who your opponent is, and that opponent just so happens to reside in the city you're watching the selection show from. It's UNCG, and it's also not every day that you're going to be facing a player that you once coached against. Do you remember Wes as a player, or did he not quite crack the scouting report when he was with the Tsar Heels? Oh, no, I remember him very well because uh, it was a game that we played in. What I remember about him is that we played in uh, in, in Tallahassee, and we were we were pretty much leading by a little uh, for the whole second half, and um, we thought we had a good defensive plan. And we, I'm not even real sure we had him in the scouting report. And I remember him coming off the bench in the latter stages of the game and hitting two or three threes uh, that 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 led us to defeat. And so uh, I remember him vividly. And I've, I've wanted to walk up and give him a knuckle sandwich ever since. <laughs> you might get that opportunity. 1245 on Saturday, Leonard Hamilton from Florida State with us. What stands out to you when you watch UNCG? Well, they're very well coached. They play with a lot of confidence. Uh, they play extremely hard. They execute very well. And what you have to understand about the NCAA tournament, there, there has always been upsets. There's always been Cinderella stories. 
there's always the, the NCAA tournament has never, ever gone as very seldom has it ever gone to play the way people planned it out. I mean, you can. I remember I was at Kentucky for twelve years, and they always talk about the Texas Texas Western team that upset Coach Rupp's team. I remember the Illinois-Chicago team that went to the Final Four. I remember uh, the University of Georgia team that finished the season something like 17-13 and 13 and, and went all the way to the Final Four. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. the year that North Carolina State won the national title against the five-slammer-jammer five yeah. from Houston, that nobody expected them to, to get to the final four. So this, that's what makes it so great. So my point, my point of saying that is that we have tremendous amount of respect for, for North Carolina Greensboro, and, and we'll be playing them, with the, we'll be preparing for them with the same focus that we do the University of North Carolina or Duke University. Leonard Hamilton with us here on Sports Up Triumph. When I look at it, I see Zay Miller, who is a two-time SOCON Player of the Year, great defensive player as well. He's constantly on all the highlight reels on SportsCenter and such. And you've got someone like that as well, and Scotty Barnes, who is just a marvel to watch when you get a chance to see him in person. There are both physical and intangible traits that I think stand out when I watch Scotty Barnes. What aspect of his game makes him most special, you think? Well, Scotty obviously is an elite of the elite athlete. Uh, what separates him, there's a lot of elite athletes. He has a tremendously high basketball IQ. He has an unselfish spirit. He creates for other folks. He actually enjoys getting the ball to his teammates, but he has the ability to go score when he needs to. The, the thing that also separates him, he's a power forward his entire life until uh, he came to Florida State and we put him at the point guard position. So he's still uh, making the transition. He still uh, has a lot of learning, a lot of growing, but he's having a – his tra- the transition has been smooth. Uh, he has uh, been a seamless transition for him while he's still learning and adjusting to the position. Um, you know, it's hard, you know, to – be a guy who plays inside and beats and bangs inside. And then all of a sudden now you see uh, him pounding uh, uh, the ball under pressure, creating for his teammates and creating for himself. And it, there's no question that his best basketball ahead of him, but he's doing a tremendous job for us, and we're very fortunate to have him. Leonard Hamilton with us here on Sports Up Try. After the game you lost to uh, Georgia Tech on, on Saturday, what stuck out to me, as you said, pretty confidently – that your team was going to, you know, they were going to remember. They were going to file away uh, what happened at the end of the regular season and at the end of the ACC tournament in Greensboro, using it as fuel to your fire. Your team this year is pretty resilient after losses 5-0 and this season. How would you describe the overall demeanor of your group now that you're in Indianapolis? Well, we, are, we play excellent basketball. At, at times, we've been a little inconsistent. And uh, that's the – we have a lot of moving parts. We have a lot of guys who accept in different roles. We lost three guys in the lottery picks uh, uh, to play in the NBA. We 
We have another kid playing for Utah, another kid playing overseas. So we lost four matured players last year. And so we stepped into uh, this season. Uh, we've been having some moving parts, having some guys make some adjustments, us learning our players, our players are learning our system. And we have not always been as consistent, especially on the road, as we have been at home. That's part of growing. That's part of maturing. So we, we, we recognize our shortcomings. Uh, and now it's time to put it all together here at the end of the season where everybody's on the road. So there should not be any any issues from that standpoint. Uh, but I'm excited about the opportunity we have. And, but one thing about the NCAA tournament, you can't talk it. You've got to walk it. you got to make sure you you go and fulfill you know your 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 responsibilities as a player and as coaches. We are locked into this NCAA tournament bubble, the, the March Madness bubble that we exist in. So you know we 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 are locked in. You don't have anything to do other than think about basketball. So this is unusual time for us, but this is an opportunity that we can't let pass. The Gastonia native. Leonard Hamilton joining us here on Sports Up Triad. Best of luck, good health as well in the tournament, and uh, appreciate the time in the triad as always. Thank you. You got it. That is Leonard Hamilton, head coach of the New Bloods, joining us here in uh, in the triad, an area that means a lot to him. I do think it's a bad matchup for UNCG. Oh boy, that's not the team you want to run into when they're upset. When they're playing with the chip on their shoulder. Losing on Saturday night. Losing at the end of the regular season. It's a tough draw for UNCG. But we'll have Wes Miller on the show to get his side of the equation there. And maybe we'll get his thoughts on Leonard wanting to give him a knuckle sandwich. How about that piece of it, Robert? Coaches, they I've often say, they rarely ever remember the wins. But they do remember the losses. And Wes... He remembered that one, even though it's about 15 years old. Yeah, and I would not want a knuckle sandwich from Leonard Hamilton. I would not either. All right. Staying with Robert. Yesterday, Robert used Willie Nelson. And who was uh, who was the wrestler? It wasn't, I almost said Kyle Orton. It's not Kyle Orton. Randy Orton. Randy Orton. As logic to send seventh-seeded Oregon to the Final Four. It's in the same reason as Gonzaga that he sent Oregon to the Final Four. He's going to use his logic again to tell us what happens in Baylor and North Carolina's region. Next on The Drive. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves the way his new jeans highlight his man curves. Ooh, hot. Oh, yeah, that's hot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Wes Miller is going to be here in 15 minutes. There's a lot to talk to Wes about. He's in Indianapolis getting set for Florida State. I want to talk to him about what the protocols are like in Indianapolis. How's the fish? (laughs) And we'll do that in 15 minutes. But we also need him to react to some sound we got earlier in the show when Leonard Hamilton joined us. And Coach Ham... Was reminded of uh, of West Miller. Remember West playing at Carolina. Leonard's been at Florida State for a while. So I just wanted to see if 
Coach Ham had any memories of Wes as a player, and his answer didn't disappoint. Oh, no, I remember him very well because uh, we were pretty much leading by a little uh, for the whole second half, and um, we thought we had a good defensive plan, and we, I'm not even real sure we had him in the scouting report. And I remember him coming off the bench in the latter stages of the game and hitting two or three threes uh, that, that, that led us to defeat. And so uh, I remember him vividly, and I've, I've wanted to walk up and give him a knuckle sandwich ever since. Whoa! Coach Ham chose violence, which led to this tweet from Justin. I bet Coach Hamilton could slap the taste right of it right out of anyone's mouth. Appropriate question on Austin three sixteen day. It is Austin three sixteen day. That has me thinking, Robert. Which coach in the ACC would you least want a knuckle sandwich from? Oh hell yeah! I'm gonna go in uh, three to one. Here. I thought you were gonna do it. I'll do the whole thing like this. No, you won't. I will. Coming in at number three, Steve Forbes. I bet he could mix somebody's face up. Stone Cold Steve Forbes. He would come in and mix your mess up right in your mouth. Kevin Keats, (laughs) I think he'd give you a nice jab to the face. What? A nice punch to the gut. What? (laughs) Keep my music going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And at number one, Leonard Hamilton? What? <laughs> Leonard's at number one because Stone Cold said so. If that's the bottom line. If that's the bottom line. Happy 316 day. That's unbelievable. 336-777-1600. Which ACC coach would you least want a knuckle sandwich from? I didn't think we'd get there, uh, get to that today, but we will certainly present that to Wes to see if he's worried now. I'm sure he's worried about the Seminoles. Now he's worried about Coach Ham giving him a knuckle sandwich or a knuckle hamwich. There you go. He should trademark that. Probably should. I put up a poll question on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad asking if you had the choice between Gonzaga or the field, who would you take to win the NCAA tournament? Gonzaga or the field? And we've got you know a couple hundred votes on this. Still pretty early on. You could vote on it at Josh Graham Radio. A fourth of the vote said Gonzaga. Now, I knew when I put one team versus the field, eh, it wasn't going to win. But... Gonzaga getting a fourth of the vote is an amazing thing. And here's the thing. I agree with it. I think if I had the option between Gonzaga versus the field, I'd take Gonzaga. Because as much as I love March Madness for the chaos and for the Cinderella's and for the upsets, the reality is the number one seeds run this deal. For every upset you have, eh, the number one seed going down, you still got three number one seeds that are probably going to advance and in all likelihood win the title. It's why in 80% of the tournaments we've seen since the field expanded in 1985, 80% of the tournaments, 
at least two number one seeds have made it to the Final Four. Way more than half of those tournaments have been won by the by a what seed. I'd take Gonzaga versus the field. They don't have any weaknesses. That's kind of a big deal, don't you think? They've got All-American players all across their roster. Jalen Suggs, second-team All-American. Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, they're All-American. Backcourt and frontcourt. you got a Hall of Fame coach in Mark Few. Their resume really doesn't have any holes. I know what you might be thinking. Josh, it's the West Coast Conference. Who cares? They're going to crush everybody in that. And yeah, they did. They're 26-0 in the season. If they were to win the title, they'd be the first unbeaten team in college basketball since Indiana and Coach Knight in 1976, which conveniently is the last tournament we've seen that neither Duke nor Kentucky competed in. 26-0. They've crushed the West Coast Conference, but they've also crushed everybody else. What I admire so much about Gonzaga and Coach Field is they're not afraid to play anybody. They had Baylor on the schedule, and the game got postponed. They, they had no issue trying to schedule Baylor at that point in the year when they were number one and Baylor was number two. When you look at who they've beaten, they beat Kansas, they beat Auburn, they beat West Virginia, they beat Iowa, and they won every game on their schedule but one by double digits. None of these games are close. None of these games are close. And when you look at their region, where's the loss? They have the easiest path of any one seed. Those teams I just mentioned, many of them were placed in the same region as Gonzaga. The number two seed's Iowa, beat them by 11. Wasn't even that close. The number three seed is Kansas, beat them by 12. Wasn't even that close. Kansas is dealing with COVID issues, not going to be, uh, not going to bring one of its best big men to the bubble. The four seeds, Virginia. That game was a massive route right after Christmas. And Virginia is the one team out of the 68 that has not arrived in Indianapolis yet. Who's going to beat them in the Final Four? When you look at the region south of them, the east region, even though I still don't get why we're doing this directionally when the entire tournament is set in Indy, Michigan's flawed. Isaiah Livers having issues. Don't know when he's going to return. Alabama, their coach, seems to be the one that's complaining about fish. Not really the most accomplished coach. They're a vulnerable team. Florida State, they have some flaws. I don't think flaws that UNCG can exploit, but flaws if you're going up against Gonzaga, I don't know who beats them. So give me Gonzaga versus the field. I don't remember the last time I felt this way, but it seems with COVID, there is a gap between the haves and the have-nots, and it's widened. Gonzaga versus the field. They're the best team in the country. I'm going to go with them to win in my bracket. Robert, getting some objections to your list here. Oh, no. Who said something? On Twitter. Hold on a second. I have to scroll to find who said it. I can't find the tweet, but Brad Brownell. That's the one that they had issue with. Or Brad Brownell not being on your list. 
I was too distracted by the Steve Austin music that I didn't even recognize who you said. I had no idea who was on the list. I, I assume Leonard Hamilton was there. He was number one, yeah. Then it was Coach Forbes. At three. And Kevin Keats. At two, correct. I think Steve Forbes would beat up Kevin Keats. He could body I don't him. know. I think Kevin Keats would have him on speed and would be able to use form to beat Steve. But now looking at Brad Brownell, he is kind of ham-fisted. Lanky. You don't want to... Because we're not talking about who would win a fight. No, it's who the the punch. There's like a sport. I don't know what the sport's called where guys just take haymakers from each other. Are you talking about the smack? Like the Russian yeah. smack yeah, competition? Yeah, yeah, the Russian smack competition. <laughs> they, they... So you, okay, if it's a Russian smack competition, then yeah, I could definitely see Forbes taking out Keats because there's nowhere to run. You're going to have contact. So if it's what that, is your definition of a knuckle sandwich? I mean, I would be able to to move a little bit. I'm not just going to stand there and let him mix my face up. Hmm. Like, is this a situation where like my hands are behind my back and it's just like a I kissed your sister so you get to punch me kind of thing? I don't know. I think yeah, yeah, it's probably that. That's, okay, that's a good way to put well, it. Well, then I would put Forbes at two and Keats at three. Then gotcha. I would agree to that. Would you keep Keats in there over Brownell? I think so. I still think so. I okay. trust Keats' ability to generate power. Jim Beheim probably has old man strength. Big dude, Beheim. And Big. you got to worry about he's getting a unit punched with the hand like he, that he uses to pick the bugs with. That's a good point. Didn't even think about that. It might be a a gross a booger sandwich. Booger sandwich that he gives you. What are the protocols like in Indianapolis? How's is West Miller worried about getting a knuckle sandwich from Leonard Hamilton? Those are the things we'll figure out when West Miller joins the show next. Your attention, please. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. If you think your bracket's too chalky, consider this fact. In 12 straight tournaments, a double-digit seed has advanced as far as the Sweet 16, and it's happened 33 of the last 35 tournaments since the field expanded in 1985. Somebody who's hoping his team will continue that trend is UNCG's Wes Miller, who joins us now from Indy. A quick programming note, by the way. I've learned today we're going to be carrying the UNCG radio broadcast for the Spartans run right here on Sports Hub Triad. So excited about that. I want to start here. We saw the news about some of the officials, Roger Ayers and Teddy Valentine, among others, uh, because of contact tracing, not being able to work the tournament. And I've been texting some people I know who are already in Indy, and they're saying, Eh, the food's not so great. I hope the players have a good enough experience that they're motivated and ready to go. You've been there since Saturday, so paint the picture for me. What are the protocols like, and how are things in Indy? Well, first off, I, I, it's been first class from my perspective, Josh. Um, we, we flew out on a 747. You know, we all, not only did we have our own row, we didn't have anybody within two rows of us. So the social distancing applied to the airplane. They picked us up in three buses. We had a police motorcade. Every time we've gotten on a bus to go anywhere to a practice or to get from the airport to the hotel, you know, we've been hustled around like we're the president of the United States or something. Uh, you know, the, they seem to 
have thought about, you know, all the safety protocols well in advance and seem organized in that sense. It is a bubble or a controlled environment or whatever terminology you want to use in the sense that we don't have any interaction uh, with the outside world. So it's the, the, the other teams that are here in this hotel. We are, UNCG, has, we have our own floor, and we kind of move freely about that. We have our own meeting room that we can kind of move freely within. And obviously from, you know, walking from meeting room to elevator, that type of thing, you could bump into some other teams and coaches. Uh, but if there is, you know, short interaction, it's with a mask on. There are NCAA personnel everywhere to direct you to the right places. Um, so it, it just seems like it's been really well done. It's been really well thought out. The, the food has been great. <laughs> you know, I, 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 maybe, you know, we're not as spoiled at UNCG and, we're pretty thankful just to be having a meal and that type of thing, but it hasn't been bad at all. It's been good food, and and uh, again, they, I feel like they've thought of everything, so we feel very well taken care of, them, and we're, we're grateful that they've done so. Has your brother and Roy given you a detailed scouting report on FSU, considering they faced uh, the Seminoles three times now? Well, I've talked to Coach, and I've also talked to my brother, and They've kind of echoed the same thing that I've seen when I've watched the tape, Josh, and that's that they are huge. They have energy for the defensive end of the floor, and it is really hard to score and really hard to run your stuff because of the way they switch things and the way they pressure you and the way they take, they take passing lanes away and obviously their ability to impact things at the rim. Uh, but then you, you look on the other side of the ball, and they they have a better offensive efficiency than they even do defensive efficiency. I think they're the 11th-ranked uh, offensive team in the nation right now, and at least on Ken Palm, which is kind of where we the, – the, the, the service that we value for statistical analysis. And um, So, you know, you look and they play 11 guys, 12 guys. All of them seem to be good enough to start for any team in America. Uh, and, and they echoed those things, but it's pretty clear when you watch the tape, Josh. It's a – tremendous basketball team that's tremendously well coached by a guy Leonard Hamilton that you know I believe deserves to be in the Hall of Fame he's one of the better better guys that's ever done it in our game um and it's presents tremendous challenges for our for our team here at UNCG but we're excited we're excited for the challenge the opportunity and that's what playing basketball this time of year is all about. That's a really nice thing you had to say about Leonard there, but he told us something earlier today that we'll play for you in a second that might make you change your mind on that. I asked uh, if you were on the scouting report back when you were a player going up against uh, Florida State going up against UNC. I didn't know what Leonard would say, but let's just say he remembered you. Oh, no, I remember him very well because uh, we were pretty much leading by a little uh, for the whole second half. And um, we thought we had a good defensive plan, and we, I'm not even real sure we had him in the scouting report. And I remember him coming off the bench in the latter stages of the game and hitting two or three threes uh, that, that, that led us to defeat. And so uh, I remember him vividly, and I've, I've wanted to walk up and give him a knuckle sandwich ever since. Watch out, boys. Watch out. He's coming for you on Saturday. <laughs> well, that's kind of. I, I had my first start of my career at Florida State, and uh, it was probably 2006, January in 2006. And, um, you know, I, I, I 
I think that was my career high that night. So I'm glad he remembers. I remember it well. I'm glad I didn't get that knuckle sandwich too. But that was a special night for me as a player, and it was obviously a great win against another one of his great teams. Coaches remember the wins, certainly, but they remember the losses a lot more is what I go for it, right there. It, 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 it's, you know, as a player – the really bad losses you remember as a player, like the you know the losses in the NCAA tournament that ended your year, and there's some of those I'll never get over. But some of the other losses as a player, they they kind of roll off your back. You go on to the next one. As a coach, you remember all the losses. <laughs> that it does change a little bit. That's for sure. Wes Miller's with us here from Indianapolis on Sports Hub Giant. I asked Roy about you a few weeks ago, and among some of the things he brought up, he said that. You took one of the three best charges he's ever seen as a coach at Arizona and already called you a big-time coach. But in addition to that, he also said this. I love him to death. He, he's got some things that I haven't said about other people. One, he got more out of his potential, came closer to reaching his potential than any player I've ever coached. You know, he wasn't a great ball handler. He didn't have great passing ability, but he could shoot the ball and he's tough as nails, and that's where he made his living. And he played as maximum, uh, close to his potentials, maximum than anybody I've ever seen. And in my uh, lifetime as a coach, he did a better job of that than anybody. What do you make of that from Coach Williams? Well, listen, Josh, all I heard is that I can't dribble and I can't pass. So it sounds like <laughs> I need to get my ass in the gym. Um, but, that, no, I listen, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, just makes you, you know, just tickles you inside, right? Um, the, 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 that kind of praise from somebody that I look up to and I care so much about, um, and I I care what he thinks and how he feels about me. So that that just tickles you to death. Uh, you know, I, I had some of the greatest experiences of my life playing basketball at North Carolina and and learning basketball from Coach Williams and. So he's been so special to me, not just in my playing career, but in helping facilitate my coaching career and being here for me every step of the way. So that, that's the kind of stuff that you just kind of pinch yourself and, and you know, you just, just know that all the things that he says, those, those feelings are reciprocated and more going back his way as well. Last thing for Wes Miller here, getting set for Florida State Saturday, 1245 on Sports Up Triad and also on True TV. Uh, you've experienced the highs and lows as a player of March where you have the upset that happened in 2006, the national title in 2005. When you reflect back on those experiences being a part of teams playing in March, what made the 05 team different? um, Just an incredible will to do anything that, that, that... that that team could do just to win uh, the next possession. You know, I, everybody, everybody has a will to win this time of year, but that team just would do anything, whether it was in preparation, uh, you know, whether it was within the game and sacrifice anything just to win the next possession. And I, I was, that was my second year at Carolina, but a lot of those guys had been together for three and four years and had been through quite a bit together. And I think, they had all kind of gone through the process of uh, just wanting to to win, just wanting to put up a banner, just wanting to cut down nets, even though there were a ton of uh, 
guys on that team that had had a lot of personal goals that were really realistic because a lot a lot of those guys did end up playing in the NBA, but but everybody put that stuff aside, and then that's what I remember. I remember how contentious the practices were. You know, another thing, and I, I was telling my team about this this week is, you know, we practiced for an hour and thirty minutes the day before the national championship game, and we went five on five up and down live scrimmage the night after the final four and the day before the national championship game to prepare for Illinois. And, you know, that, that, that's what I remember about that group, the way it competed every day, the way we prepared, uh, and, and then the mentality in, in games, especially in that tournament. Wes, best of luck against the Seminoles. Thanks for making time for us in the triad. We look forward to watching and listening Saturday afternoon, and congratulations on all the success to this point. Yeah, thanks so much, Josh. We're, we're thrilled and ready to go out and represent the triad community and UNCG, and I'm glad you guys are carrying carrying us on on the air too so thank you so much you got it so again 1245 on saturday you can listen to the spartans right here on sports up giant it's it's important to remember that robert because the game's on true tv if you don't have true tv well you can find a way to listen to the game on the radio here